Have you guys ever seen that, that movie, Catch Me If You Can? It came out like 15 years ago, something like that. Um, well, th- that movie, it tells the story of this, this man, Frank Abagnale Jr., and he was this, and he's still alive, he was a con, a con man, he was a check forger, uh, and he was, an, he was an imposter, basically. And between the ages of 15 and 21, he this is what he says, that he, he assumed no fewer than eight different identities, uh, including an airline pilot, uh, a, a doctor, a U.S. Bureau of Prisons agent, and a lawyer. Um, so so he, he did all those things. He escaped from custody twice. Uh, once, this is, I mean, this guy told a lot of stories, so you don't really, it's hard to, to know what's really true here, but, but he claims that he, uh, he jumped out of a taxiing airplane when he was in custody and escaped, and then he also escaped from a federal penitentiary, penitentiary at one point, and uh, he eventually was captured, he couldn't, couldn't keep running, and he served less than five years in prison. He, he stole around like $18 million, something like that, through his forgeries and different things that he did. Uh, and now, guess what he does? He works for the federal government. <laughs> he, he is currently a consultant. He lectures in the FBI Academy, and he runs a financial fraud consultancy company. So if you can't beat him, join him, I guess. I don't know. That's what, what uh, Frank Abagnale did. And, and, and if you've seen the movie, you know, it's, it's a pretty stylized uh, and uh, it's a, it's a really fun movie. I, I would recommend it. Uh, but, but I think when we think of Mr. Abagnale's story, uh, what, is so, what is so fascinating about it is the way that he was so convincing and the way that he could fool people in, like in absolute ways that, 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 that the, the, the investigator from the FBI who was trying to find him, he actually was in the same room with him and he was able to convince the agent that he was another agent instead of the person. And this was like the guy who was trying to find him. He was able to convince people so, uh, so concretely and, and even as a really young man, so young, 15, 16, 17, to do all these things to convince people that he was a doctor, like I'm Doogie Howser, I guess, I'm so, I'm a young doctor, or that he was a lawyer, an airline pilot. Do you know how many thousands of hours it takes to become an airline pilot? But he convinced people that he was an airline pilot and, and rode on airplanes for, you know, to like 18 different countries. And, and these are professions, doctors, lawyers, pilots. it takes years and years of, of training and education to get to that point. And even without any real actual knowledge or experience in those fields, he was, he conned basically everyone. You know, they, they could figure out like something is going on here that doesn't work, but it, this kid or this, this man, he's so convincing. I think we've probably all met people who who claim to be something that they're not, right? You, you hear people tell stories, and, and we call them hypocrites, or we call them posers. And, you know, we talked about surfing a couple weeks ago, right? James, you know any posers? <laughs> right? Besides me. Um, yeah, it's, no, it's people who, you know, they, they have all the stuff, 
but but they're really not they're not going to be out in in the water and and usually those kind of people a hypocrite opposer they're pretty easy to to see through and they're pretty easy to ignore like okay that that person's just they're talking a big game but uh, but sometimes we meet people who they don't just talk a big game they they kind of wow us or impress us with their their charisma, right? They, they seem to be really knowledgeable about something and so we're kind of drawn to them or attracted to them because they, they seem to be an expert or they seem to be somebody important because of the way they communicate. And sometimes it takes us a while to figure out that, they, that they're a fake, that they're a phony. And, and usually when it happens is when the rubber meets the road. Like, okay, Mr. Abagnale, there's a person on the operating table, you know, who really needs your expertise as a doctor. And, and he tells the story, Frank Abagnale tells a story of how he had to basically fake his way through, uh, through a medical procedure and, and almost uh, killed the patient because he didn't know what he was doing. But that was when the it became clear that this is a person who doesn't actually know what they're doing. They're, they're not what they profess to be, and we can see it through their, through their actions, through when, through when it really counts. So, so because we're going through this series in, in following Jesus, we've been talking about what is the, what is the basic elements or components of of being a person who's a disciple of Jesus. What does it look like in our life to really follow? And so what we've seen so far is that when we follow Jesus, we, we delight ourselves in Jesus, we discipline ourselves for Jesus, we, and we declare Jesus, we speak of him. So we love and we enjoy him, we stoke our love and sustain that love by building in uh, habits that, that will increase our joy. That's our disciplining ourselves for Jesus. And then that joy is going to spill out, right, in, in the things that we say, the things that we talk about. So, so we're going to continue today by, by looking at our lives, our conduct. What, how, how do we actually live when the rubber meets the road and and the basic summary of today is if we follow Jesus our lives should display Jesus if we follow Jesus if we're disciples of Jesus our lives should reflect that in in truth right it should actually be something that exists so people should be able to look at our lives someone we work with someone we're in a relationship with our, our friends our family whoever they should be able to look at us and, and see what Jesus looks like through our conduct, through our lives. So, so unlike Frank Abagnale, uh, this, is not a, this is not just a show. This is not a, a con. We're not trying to fake anything just so people admire us or think that we are good, nice people. But, but what we want, what we desire, what should be happening is that in the power of the Holy Spirit... We are being transformed. It's this process that's happening in us. We are being changed, and that transformation will genuinely, actually show up in our lives. So how do we display Jesus? That's the question for today. So we'll, we'll break it up into four parts. In order to display Jesus, you have to show what you've been shown. You have to show what you know. And you have to show what's been done, 
and you have to show what you love. Four things. So we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is on page 991 if you're using one of the Bibles back there. It'll be up on the screen as well. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 14 through 17. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask now that that as we come to your word, that you would proclaim what is true to us. Holy Spirit, that you would... Uh, you would land the truth of the living word of God on our hearts this morning as we hear it preached to us. God, I know that, that in each of our lives, if, if we're following you, we have this desire to, to have a genuine life, to see a connection between what we believe and what we do. But there, there is so often a disconnection there, and, and we feel the tension and the frustration of that. And so we pray this morning that you would help us bridge that gap, that you would show us that it is the gospel of Jesus that will actually lead us into to displaying Jesus to other people. So be with us now. Help us, we pray, and show us the areas in our lives where we need to have the gospel applied uh, and, and worked on in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so when it comes to displaying Jesus, showing people this is, what Jesus, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's like, this is what he's done for us, if we want to do that through our actions, through our lives, we have to begin by showing people what we have been shown ourselves. We have to begin by showing people what we've been shown ourselves. And I think this goes back to what we've been talking about each week, that at the base or the root of following Jesus has to be our delight in him, our joy in him. If we love Jesus, if we find our joy in him, then that's going to come out through our lives, through our actions in the ways that we conduct ourselves. If we love Jesus, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. That's one way Jesus says, here's the evidence of your joy in me, your delight in me, is through obedience or through a life of, of obedience. So, so when we hear uh, the Apostle Paul here, he's telling us kind of his biography or the story of his life, and he says, Uh, He traces everything in his story back to this in verse 14. The grace of our Lord overflowed from me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy, deserving a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So what's, what's Paul telling us here in his story? He's saying, during the course of my life, in on on the road that I was on, there was this major shift 
There was a, a complete turnaround in his life. And, and we know what's the cause of that shift. It's Jesus. Jesus is the reason Paul's life changes so dramatically. And, and as we spent time in the book of Acts earlier, uh, or I guess it was 2018, um, we're, and we're going to learn a lot about Paul as we go through the rest of the book of Acts. But, but when you see Paul in, in the book of Acts, he, he believed in God, right? He was a, a zealous a Jewish man, he devoted himself to to obeying and following all the law of God, and he was so zealous, he was so intense as a uh, as a Jewish man that he uh, he was involved in the early uh, the persecution of the early church. He went after the church of Jesus because. His, in his mind, these people are corrupting or poisoning uh, the, the faith in, in the one true God. And so we need to eliminate them. We need to do what God would want us to do and get rid of these people. So he was involved in the imprisonment and the persecution and the death of early Christians. But, but then Paul meets Jesus. He has an encounter with Jesus himself. He's going to another city in order to persecute more Christians, to imprison them, and Jesus appears to Paul and confronts him. And he says, you're persecuting me. You're opposing me, but I have a new mission for you. Instead of eliminating Christians and getting rid of them, you're going to become one, and you're going to make more of them. You're actually going to go out into all the world to the Gentiles, the pagans, and you're going to bring my message to them. He has this radical encounter. And he's shown something, right? Jesus is God's Messiah. Jesus is actually the one that we've been waiting for. He's the one that God promised, and I missed it, but Jesus showed him, this is who I am. He showed him the truth, right? So, so Paul's life from that moment on is a display of what he has been shown, People could look at Paul and point to this moment of transformation and say, before he lived like this, right? He was driven by these things, but when he met Jesus, his life changed. His life was transformed. The things that he did before, he stopped doing. And the things that he wasn't doing, he started doing these things. And he says, that's all because of Jesus. It's not because I was reading a book and I had a philosophical change of ideas. He says, Jesus, he came to me, he showed himself to me, and that's what changes everything. And from that moment on, his whole life is saying, I want to show other people what has happened to me. I want to show other people who Jesus is. Now, we often think about our Christian life, right, as as a list of rules that we have to obey so that, that God will like us or accept us. That, that's a lot of times maybe consciously or unconsciously, that's, that's what the Christian life can be 
boiled down to. And, and the truth is, it is true that we are called to obey Jesus, right? We just, I just quoted that verse from John. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey the things that I've told you to do. And, and there's, Jesus calls us again and again, deny yourselves, pick up your cross, follow me, make, live in sacrificial ways, stop doing these things, start doing these things. Obedience is part of the Christian life, but we have to ask the question, why do we obey? Why does Jesus call us to obey? And the simplest answer is we obey because of who we are. We obey Jesus because of who we are in him. Uh, we, we have a new identity in Jesus, right? Your, your old identity, when you put your faith in Jesus, your old identity is gone. You have a new identity. I am a child of God. I am uh, in God's family now. I am a saint, right? When's the last time you thought of yourself as a saint? I am a set-apart, holy one of God. I belong to a family. I have brothers and sisters in Jesus. You have a new identity. And the reason you obey Jesus is because he's given you a new identity. So, so that means obedience is just living out who you are. So, so think of, you know, I don't know, think of an example in your life. Like if you have... Uh, a, if you have a, if you have children, a lot of us have children, right? So if you get up in the morning and your kid says, "I want breakfast," a very normal thing, right? I want to eat something. Okay, you don't you don't feed them breakfast because uh, <laughs> because it's a job that you have or it's a duty that you have. Like this is on my list today. You feed them because. You're their parent, right? That's your identity. These are my, this is my child. I am their parent. So you, you do it out of your identity. I don't know if that, does that make sense, right? It's, it's not just like this job description that you have. You could describe all the things that you do as a parent, but you're doing them because you are a parent. That's your identity that you have. It's one of the identities that you have. And the same is true of, of belonging to Jesus. We belong to him. We have a new identity in him. And obedience is a display of what is true in our identity. So I don't know if any of you are reading through the Bible uh, in a year, right? So if you, if you do a Bible reading plan, Typically, the beginning of the year, you start in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? The first five books in the Old Testament. And much of when you get it to the end of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, it's a lot of commandments, right? That God is giving to the people of Israel. Uh, you know, this is the way you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to build this tabernacle. This is how you, this is how you deal with bodily fluids. I mean, Leviticus is goes through things in excruciating detail, right? <laughs> How many people read Leviticus this year? Anyone? I read it. Daniel read it. James? Okay. It's tough, right? You're like, man, there is a lot of stuff in there about things I don't, didn't know God wanted to, to tell me how to live that way. But why, again and again, why does God say that you should do these things for the people of Israel? He said, it's because you're my people. 
You belong to me. You're set apart from me. I rescued you from slavery in Egypt. I'm bringing you into this new land. And the reason that you live this way is to be a display of the reality of who you are. You're God's people. You belong to me. And so your life will reflect that in these ways. And it's the same thing for us. We live out our identity in Christ. It will be displayed in to other people that, oh, this person belongs to Jesus. They, the people of Israel, they're showing what they've been shown and we're doing the same thing. So if you want to show people what Jesus is like through your life, consider what you have been shown. What have you been shown? And just think, what has God done in your life? What was your life like before you met Jesus? What has Jesus carried you through? How has he blessed you? How has he sustained you? How has he provided for you? How has his grace overflowed for you? And if if you think of those things as you remember them and you reflect on them, ask yourself, how can I display those things to other people? How can I show other people what I've been shown. Next, we can display Jesus by showing what we know, showing what we know. So it's, it's similar, it's very similar to showing what we've been shown, to show what we know. And again, you look at the life of Paul, and, and in his life throughout the New Testament, he has this strength, right? He's strong, He's, he's pretty loud, you know, he's, he's a strong personality, strong person, but he's also weak. He talks often about his, his weakness and the difficulties and the trials that he has. And he has this incredible confidence sometimes, right? He, he speaks with authority as an apostle of Jesus, but he also is humble and, and he speaks with humility. So he has, he has intelligence, he has passion, but he doesn't just bulldoze people with those things, with his personality and, and with his knowledge. And so we can say Paul's life is a display of what he knows, that Jesus came to save rebellious people, and he says, I was the worst of them. At the end of verse 15, he says, this, this saying is trustworthy, or this message is true, deserving a full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Or we could say, I'm, I'm the first in line. I'm the chief of sinners. And, and we, could, we could be skeptical and we could say, well, Paul's just, he's, he's trying to be modest. You know, sometimes we do this with false humility. Oh, no, it's not that big of a deal. You know, I'm not that great. Um, or we could say, well, maybe Paul's using hyperbole to make a point about the beauty of the gospel. But, but again, if we know Paul's story, we know uh, what he's talked about, we read the sections of scripture that he wrote, you know that he's not exaggerating. Paul was a bad, he did bad things, right? He, he was directly responsible for the imprisonment and the torture and the death of Christian believers. He ruined people's lives. He ripped families apart and he did it with with passion, like he, was, he wasn't just doing it because it was his job. He didn't have to do it. He was zealous to do it. He relished all of it in doing it with 
conviction, and then his life changes. He meets Jesus, and, and the people that he persecuted, they're now his brothers and sisters in faith, including the people who are still in prison. Like, those are now his brothers and sisters. He's responsible for, th- for them being there. And you have to imagine, I don't think it's a stretch to say, that Paul at times met families of people that he chased down and maybe even were, were killed. Think about that. That has an impact on you as a person. I'm, I'm related in faith to these people now, and I'm responsible for their husband or their wife or their child being killed or being put in prison with no hope of, of getting out. I'm responsible for that. I was the one who led the charge. And I think even as Paul, he's walking in the newness of his life as a follower of Jesus, there are clear moments where Paul is wrestling with what he had done. Paul knows what he has been saved from. He knows it. He feels it deeply in himself. I am the foremost of sinners. I'm, I'm the worst you know, Paul could say, if you look up a picture of, uh, if you look up a definition of sinner in the dictionary, Paul is saying, I'm the picture. I'm, I'm the definition of what, of who Jesus came to save from rebellion, from sin. He knows, I was blind, but God has given me sight graciously. And, and when Paul is saved, from his sin. It's not like that, that previous part of his life just, just goes away. The gospel says the consequences of our sin are removed, right? The eternal consequences, the wrath of God. Jesus carried that on the cross for us. So we don't have to bear the penalty of our sin before God. But, but his life, his story, it still exists. The things that he did before. And he never tries to deny it. He never tries to minimize what he did before. But instead he uses it as a backdrop, right? This is my story. This is who I was. Now let the backdrop highlight the grace that I have been shown. Let, let people see who I was and who I am now and say that's only because of Jesus. The reason there's been this change in his life. He talks about this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, so what is he saying? On one hand, I am the very least of all the saints. I'm the chief of sinners, but grace was given to me. I know that grace has give, been given to me, and now I get to tell of the beauty and the riches of Christ to the world, right? So he's showing what he knows. And if you want to display Jesus, if, you, if, if I want to, to, to show what Jesus is like to other people, we, we can't do that by telling somebody else's story, not very effectively. You know, we, sometimes we see other people and we hear their story and it's so powerful and you're like, man, I wish I had a story like that. I wish that I could, could tell my story in, in such a way. But the most effective way, powerful way for us to tell the, 
to display Jesus to other people is to tell our own story. This is who I am. These are the things that I have done. These are the things that I've wrestled with and dealt with. That's my story, and this is how God has shown me grace. This is how Jesus showed up in my life and changed me and transformed me. And that is a powerful display because we're showing, we're showing what we know. We're saying, look what God has done for me. Not just what he did for Paul and what he did for my pastor or what he did for my friend. This is what God has done for me. This is what God has done in my life. And we're showing people God saves sinners. God saves broken people. God saves people who've done stupid things and made a mess of their lives. God saves people who are walking through suffering and difficulty. And we display his grace powerfully when we show people what we know, not just what other people know, but what we know. All right, so, so we most powerfully display the beauty and goodness of Jesus when we show what we've been shown and when we show what we know. And next we can display the good news of Jesus by showing what has been done or what has been accomplished. And again, Paul says here, look at my life. This is what I know. This is what I've been shown. This is what has been done for me. He says in verse 16, I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the worst of sinners, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He says, here's, here's the purpose of God saving such a wicked, proud, arrogant person. I mean, God should, you know, how many people were like, I wish God would just strike Paul dead, right? I mean, how many times have you had somebody who's coming after you and you're like, God, take care of them for me? I have prayed that. I'm admitting it right now. Not for God to kill anyone, <laughs> but I've just said, God, take care of this person for me. Like, I'm so frustrated. I am so fed up with what, I don't even know what they're coming after me for. You take care of it for me because I don't know what to do. And if God wants to do something that's hard for them, that's up to him, right? How many people prayed that against Paul? He's killing us. He's putting us in prison. And Paul says, God could have killed me. He should have. I deserved it. But he had a purpose for me. And what was his purpose for Paul? to be an example. This is what God does with people who, who rebel against him. This is what God does with people who are arrogant and proud. He saves them. He loves them. He comes after them. He pursues them. Paul's saying, if God could save someone like me, he could save anyone. He could save anyone. This is what God has done. And when Paul is saying, this is what God did, this is what he's accomplished, that's a powerful display, right? Here's what the gospel is like. It's so good that, that Jesus would save somebody who he should have killed, who deserved to be killed. And that's why this story is so powerful, right? It has credibility and it's dynamic and it's, it's really captivating. And we see that in Paul. But what about you? What about, what about us? How can your life, how can our lives together be a powerful, dynamic, captivating, 
compelling display of the beauty of Jesus, of the power of Jesus, of the love of Jesus. I, I've been reading this book called Gospel Fluency. It's by this author named Jeff Vanderstelt. And, and in the book, he talks about uh, something called gospel metaphors. So if you know what a metaphor is, uh, it's a figure of speech or a symbol to describe something, helps us understand an idea or a concept. So, so the question being, as followers of Jesus, how can our lives become a gospel metaphor to display who Jesus is, what he's done for us? So, so Jeff, in his book, he says, we can think about the gospel, the good news, this is who Jesus is, this is what he's done, uh, and, and, and then we can think about what we know about God through Jesus. What do we know about God through Jesus? So, so he, he says, you know, get out a piece of paper, make a list, and, and think of the, the titles and the attributes and the activities of God that we see through Jesus. So we, we could look at Jesus and we can say he's an advocate, right? He, is a, he makes a sacrifice. He is a healer. He's a forgiver. He's a counselor. He's a prince of peace. He's someone who restores. He's someone who redeems. And, and that list could just continue, right? This is, this is what God is like. And we know that because this is what Jesus showed us about God. And, and when Paul is talking about us. He's saying we are like a living letter, or he says in one place, we're like the aroma of Christ, right? Think of something you can smell. Like yesterday we made bacon for breakfast, Dallas did, and, and one of the kids came in and was like, it smells like bacon in here, right? Such a wonderful aroma. And, and Paul says that we are like the aroma of Christ. We're a living letter. We're, we're Jesus put on display, just like Jesus was God on display. So, so if you think of that list that, that we wrote down mentally, right, um, of gospel metaphors, so, so you, you want to take those things that Jesus did or showed us and then say, well, how do we show that? How do we show that God is a restorer, well, we can do something that brings restoration to a place of brokenness. So, so Jeff uses the example of uh, neighbors helping each other build a fence, which sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but it's taking something that's broken and, and restoring it or putting it back to the way that it should be, or, or thinking about like uh, people coming together and helping remodel a house so that, so that people have a place to say to stay. So if God welcomed us and was hospitable to us, that we can welcome and be hospitable to others. Or, or like an empty street lot that was used for uh, drug and sex trafficking, uh, the neighborhood saying, let's turn this into a garden, uh, a neighborhood garden. So there's redemption happening, a place of ugliness and bondage being turned into a place of giving and flourishing and health. Or um, helping pay someone's debts off so we're showing what forgiveness looks like or or helping somebody in a time of need god's a provider and he provides for all of our needs we're just those are ways that we can display this is this is who god is this is the kinds of things that he does and and i was trying to think well how have we done that not just in jeff's story but but in our own story how has that shown up in our life and and i think one really powerful way that, that we've seen the gospel displayed 
uh, to us from other people and, and now happening in our own life is through adoption and through foster care. So, so we became foster parents last year and have continued to do that. And, and if you think of something that God has done, right? He has adopted us in, in Christ. There's, there's multiple places in the scriptures that talk about, talk about us being adopted by God. We've been welcomed into God's family. So that means we're fully loved, fully accepted by God. We have full, uh, like, legal, uh, in, in a technical sense, like we are full, we have a full inheritance in Christ, and we have, we're co-heirs with Jesus, and all that's because of Jesus. He's, he's the one who has done it. So because that's true, because that's been done for us, we as a family, we felt led to, to take in kids who needed a place to be loved and, and cared for. And no one's making us do it, right? We don't have to do it. It's not like, it's, it's not like we're, we're um, doing it because like we don't want to, but we just feel like we should. But there's like a genuine desire to do that, right? That comes from what has been done. We have been loved by God. We've been welcomed in by God. And our family, through doing this, is like a living gospel metaphor. Here's what the gospel looks like. And, and people see it, right? People absolutely see it because they're like, wow, there's more children. Why did you buy a giant van? You know, like these are real tangible displays and, and they just, they're looking at our family that's always evolving and changing and like, what is going on here? And the most common thing people say to us is, wow, you guys are really awesome, you know, to do something like that. I could never do that. I mean, people say that to us all, all the time. But the truth is, and you guys know this, we're not, we're not awesome, extra special people. We're not super parents, and that has become really evident to us, you know, over the past couple of weeks. <laughs> we are not intuitively more loving or more selfless than other people, than, than you are, or people across the street. But, but the compelling thing for us, what compels us, is we have been loved by someone who didn't have to love us. We have been loved by someone who didn't have to bring us in and give us a place to give us a family. And so in Jesus, God has displayed that to us, right? Overflowing, abundant, welcoming love. And so he's called us to be a living example of that to these kids, right? That means a lot to them, even if they can't fully explain it. And it, it, it says something to everyone around us. It's a display. So, so when people say, oh, you guys are so whatever, we get to say the reason that we're doing this is because of the great love that we have been shown. It's just a response to what has been done for us. All we're doing is showing people what has been done for us. So, so think, how can my life be a gospel metaphor? How can you be a living, breathing example of what Jesus has done for you to the people that God has put in your life? 
And if you know what the answer is to that question, go do that. Like, just start doing it. <laughs> you don't have to, I mean, that's how it was for us with foster care. We knew it in our minds and we were working on it for several years. And at some point we just had to start doing it. Uh, and we didn't get like a clear sign like, now you're ready to do it. You just start doing it. And it remains hard after that. It's, it's very, very difficult, but it's, it, that's, the, that's the calling, right? This is what we're to do, to display what has been done for us. So show what you've been shown, show what you know, show what has been done, and finally we can display Jesus by showing what we love. When Paul finishes this section in First Timothy, he says, here's what's most important to me. Here's what I love. Here's what brings me joy. He says, after all I've done, in spite of my great sin, my hard-headed rebellion, he says, I've been loved. And, and that gratitude and that joy of his place in Jesus, it spills out in this Song of praise in verse 17, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Your life is a continual display of what you love. We give ourselves to what we love. We, we sacrifice our time and our money for what we love. We prioritize what we love. We say yes to some things and we say no to other things based on what we love. So we could say essentially everything we do is based on what we love and what we value. And so as I'm finishing here, I want to call you to look at your life and to think about what you make sacrifices for. What is your life conforming to or being shaped by what what are you prioritizing what have you been saying yes to and what have you been saying no to and the answer to those questions will help you see what you love what you value those answers will help you see what other people see when they look at your life kind of like looking in a mirror a little bit and and then in asking those questions and really honestly answering them you can say am I showing people Jesus am I displaying Jesus am I showing that I follow him and that I love him and that he is what brings me joy and and if not or if you're not sure this is the moment for you to ask Jesus well help me make a change help me to, to live as a display, to, to show people really how good Jesus is through my life. I couldn't help but think of this picture. Have you ever been to a jeweler, you know, and, and they want to show you the diamonds in there, and, and they, they show you on this, like, black cloth, right? They have this shiny, velvety, really deep blue or black cloth, and why do they show you the diamonds on, those, on that cloth? Because it really highlights the beauty and the clarity of, of a diamond and its quality, right? Because that, that dark background really makes that diamond pop from, 
from the background. And I think we can think about our story, our life, and, and it's, we, we are not the most important thing. Our lives and what we do, they're not the most important thing, but we want them to be like a background to, to show people Jesus. This is how beautiful he is. This is the quality of, of who he is and what he has done. And so we are part of the process, right? But we just are like the background, making the beauty of Jesus shine brightly. And so when you think about who Jesus is, think about how he's blessed you, and your call is to bless now. Take, take what you've been given and show that to others. And not just like through, but like the ways you actually serve other people, that you restore and redeem and bless and serve and welcome and, and be that display of God's grace and forgiveness and holiness and beauty to the world. So show what you've been shown Show what you know, show what has been done, and show what you love to show people who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, that as we come and turn to a time of response, that, that you have been revealing things to us all through, uh, through hearing your word here. Uh, that, that the questions that have been asked are that you, Holy Spirit, are revealing uh, things to us through those questions and through, through your word that is living and active and really cuts down to the core of who we are. And I pray that you, that you would show us where we're at and what's really going on, and you would show us how the gospel impacts where we are and what's going on. And so that... that if there's repentance that needs to happen, that we would repent. And if there's encouragement or if there's clarity or, or whatever it might be, maybe we're at a place where we've been knowing we should be doing something or not doing something and we've been resisting that for whatever reason, that, uh, that your call here uh, is, is really what, what, what pushes us over the edge into faithful obedience Thank you, Jesus, that you gave yourself for us, that you love us, that your grace overflowed abundantly toward us, and that we have the privilege of being an example, of being the aroma of Jesus, a display of Jesus to other people. Help us to do it as individuals and as a church family, and that people could see Jesus in our lives and through the ways that we live and through what we love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.